Due to the graphic nature of this cult's crimes, listener discretion is advised. This episode includes discussions of assault and murder that some people may find offensive. We advise extreme caution for children under 13. On May 14, 2003, one day before the world was going to end, Japanese authorities raided 12 compounds owned by cult leader Yuko Chino. The police searched for drugs, weapons, or anything they could find that would incriminate the members of Chino Shoho. In reality, they didn't expect to find much, but they were keeping a close eye on the controversial group. Because according to the 69-year-old cult leader, May 15th would dawn with the 10th planet, Nibiru, approaching close to Earth. She claimed this would switch the magnetism of the North and South Poles, causing cataclysmic earthquakes and monstrous tsunamis. But the authorities weren't worried about Chino's doomsday predictions. They were concerned about the group's reaction when the apocalypse failed to arrive. The police believed that if the world didn't end, the cult might bring on a devastating event of their own. Hi, I'm Greg Polson. And I'm Vanessa Richardson. And this is Cults, a Spotify original from Parcast. Every Tuesday, we look at a cult's practices, their leader, and their followers. You can find all episodes of Cults and all other Spotify originals from Parcast for free on Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts. Last week, we learned about Yuko Chino and her followers in Chino Shoho and Pana Wave Laboratory. We left off as Chino delivered a prophecy that the world would be destroyed on May 15, 2003. Today, we'll see what happened after the end times didn't arrive as predicted. Chino and her followers get embroiled in various criminal charges and attempt to hitch a ride on a spaceship to another planet. We have all that and more coming up. Stay with us. Now on Netflix, inspired by the unbelievable true story of a fake hitman, comes the new movie, Hitman, from Academy Award nominee Richard Linklater. At 96% certified fresh on Rotten Tomatoes, critics are calling Hitman a smart, sexy crime thriller with surprises at every turn. Starring Glenn Powell and Adria Arjona, Hitman. Now playing on Netflix and in select theaters. Rated R. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Sixty-nine-year-old Yuko Chino's hopes to avoid the apocalypse were dashed when her followers were unable to rescue the wayward, bearded Tama-chan from a Tokyo river. 
With the end of the world imminent, Chino and her followers fled to a mountainside road where their convoy stopped. After several days of snarling traffic and headaches for locals, police arrived and barricaded the group to monitor them on the day of their apocalypse and hopefully passed. The authorities planned to keep Chino and her followers under watch until the press and other gawkers moved on. But as May 15th quickly approached, everyone was on high alert. A minor earthquake struck Tokyo, potentially foreshadowing Chino's cataclysm. Chino's followers readied their minds and bodies for a swift death. And then the morning of May 15th arrived. The group eagerly awoke to see if they could spot the mysterious 10th planet, Nibiru, in the sky. But they were only met with some warm spring rain showers. They held their breath for the rest of the day, waiting for monstrous earthquakes. But those never came. And when the sky cleared up, Nibiru wasn't anywhere to be seen. There were no reports of disasters anywhere on Earth. The world kept spinning. Hannah Wave, the science wing of Chino's group, immediately went into damage control mode. They announced that Chino delayed the doomsday for one week. Chino said the fearsome date was now May 22nd. One Pana Wave follower rationalized the lack of apocalypse by saying, the gods and our chairman did not wish for the end of the earth. Vanessa is going to take over on the psychology here and throughout the episode. Please note, Vanessa is not a licensed psychologist or psychiatrist, but she has done a lot of research for this show. Thanks, Greg. When Chino's date for the end of the world came with no fanfare, you'd think it might be challenging for her devotees to continue putting their faith in her. But continuing to hold beliefs after a failed prediction is actually quite common. According to psychiatrist Neil Weiser, if a cult member had strong beliefs and sacrificed a lot, continuing to believe might be less painful than discarding everything they've stood for. He wrote, With the occurrence of a prophetic disproof, rationalization must follow in order to assuage anxiety created by this disconfirmation. Weiser even specifically wrote that this rationalization may take the form of an admission of the miscalculation of the predicted date. He said for truly committed believers, prophecies cannot and do not fail. Even though Panna Wave postponed the end of the world by a week, the authorities continued to keep a close watch on them. The public still had no assurance that the group wouldn't turn out to be dangerous, in the vein of a previous cult called Om Shinrikyo. Om Shinrikyo scarred Japanese society forever when they released toxic sarin gas into the underground subways of Tokyo in March of 1995. That attack resulted in 12 deaths and more than 5,000 injuries. Ever since then, Japanese authorities were wary and watchful over bizarre and apocalyptic religious groups. In addition to any comparisons to Om Shinrikyo, the actions of other cults such as Heaven's Gate or the People's Temple also left them on alert. In the example of Heaven's Gate, 39 cult members committed group ritual suicide. The deterioration of the Jonestown encampment of the People's Temple resulted in the deaths of more than 900 individuals. So, after May 15th came and went, the police nervously watched and waited to see what Chino and her followers might do next. 
tensions were high at the encampment, as cult members who'd just been granted another week of life continued with their daily tasks. The police and press marveled as Chino's flock bothered to do laundry and other mundane duties as the apocalypse approached. But they watched closely to see if there were any signs of a sinister plan. Most of the other bystanders were there for entertainment, but some wondered, what if Chino was right? The old reclusive woman seemed so sure, and her conviction spoke volumes. The days slowly passed, and then May 22nd finally arrived. But just as before, nothing extraordinary happened. Chino's followers were disappointed, but most never lost faith in their leader. The authorities hung around for a few more days, but when they realized the group wasn't dangerous, they lost interest and broke down their barricade. The media also largely moved on from their frantic and obsessive coverage of Pana Wave after May 22nd. After two unfulfilled doomsday prophecies, there was little else to create headlines. The public seemed assured that the group was just a harmless curiosity. But this assumption may have been premature. Later that summer, Chino and her followers found themselves at the heart of a very serious criminal matter. Satoshi Chigusa, a 40-year-old assistant professor at Fukuoka University of Education, suddenly collapsed at the Panawave facility in the town of Fukui. Panawave members called emergency services, who drove an unresponsive Chigusa to the hospital. There, paramedics rushed the man into the emergency room. Initially, no one quite knew what was going on, but Chigusa had a pulse, which was a good sign. For all anyone knew, Chigusa had just fainted. However, the severity of the situation became clear when doctors closely examined him. As they slowly cut away his clothes, they were shocked to discover that Chigusa's body was covered in severe bruises. No one at the Pana Wave facility had mentioned any accident or assault when they called in. The doctors believed these wounds were too extensive to be the result of a fall. Not only were the marks a deep midnight purple color, but they were also everywhere. The bruises stretched across his back, his legs, and chest in long strips. But sadly, there was little the doctors could do to help. They placed him on IVs and monitors and hoped for the best. Unfortunately, Chigusa's vital signs plummeted, and he passed away later that same day. On August 9, 2003, police launched an inquiry into the man's bizarre fate. Chigusa's cause of death wasn't immediately clear, and to solve the mystery, his body was sent to the coroner's lab for an autopsy. After the procedure, the coroner said that the victim passed away from a combination of heat stroke and complications from extensive bruising. But this still left more questions than answers. Authorities now needed to find an answer to what caused the bruising. The next day, more than 100 police officers raided the Panawave compound and questioned any cult members they found there. In response to the investigation, Pama Wave members told law enforcement that it was normal for adherents to hit each other with cardboard sticks to help concentrate. These dangerous thrashings were also thought to somehow protect the victim from damaging electromagnetic waves. The investigation into this bizarre and risky behavior continued, but there were no confessions, no arrests, or anything else that conclusively explained Chigusa's death. 
And while law enforcement continued to dig into that case, an entirely different controversy brewed. Just a few days after Chigusa's death, the Metropolitan Police Department asked the Tokyo Regional Taxation Bureau to look into Panawave Laboratories' finances. Based on bank records and documents that were seized in May, authorities had some suspicions. They believed that Chino and her devotees were hiding more than 2 billion yen in unreported donations spread among four different bank accounts. These undocumented contributions were allegedly used to pay for Chino's travel expenses and aided in the construction of the Panaway facilities in Fukui, meaning Chino was potentially on the line for hundreds of thousands in unpaid taxes and some jail time. But just as things seemed dire for Chino, the tax bureau ceased their investigation and no charges were ever filed. It's hard to gauge the reasoning, but it's possible that the Metropolitan Police Department's assumptions were nothing more than an educated guess without any concrete evidence. However, it didn't matter. The publicity had done its intended damage. Chino's group was mired in controversy. And when the press found out about the group's ritualist beatings, it only got worse. Coming up, Chino and the Pana Wave Laboratory are implicated in another death. Listeners, looking for something a little spooky to dig into? Then check out the Spotify original from Parcast, Superstitions. Every Wednesday, explore the varying beliefs people around the world fear and follow in this eerie new series. Each week, step inside stories that illustrate the horror, weirdness, and truth behind humanity's strangest codes of conduct. Why do black cats represent witchcraft? What's the point of carrying a rabbit's foot around with you? And how come certain films seem cursed and others don't? Each new episode of Superstitions presents a story that unlocks the mysteries of unorthodox traditions and surreal phenomena. They may seem mystical or illogical or completely insane, but then again, do they? Follow the podcast series Superstitions free on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. This episode is brought to you by Rakuten. Are you ready to shop? Rakuten's Big Give Week is back. Get 15% cash back at hundreds of stores, including headliners, Ulta, Ray-Ban, and Canon. Rakuten is how in-the-know shoppers get the best savings. They shop the brands they love and earn cash back on top of deals during Big Give Week, May 6th to May 13th. The cash back rates are even bigger. I'll be shopping for Adidas and Fenty. You can save on everything you need for summer, like clothing, outdoor gear, and travel. Join today for free and get an extra 10% cash back boost. That's an extra 10% cash back on top of Big Give Week's 15% cash back. You won't see higher cash back rates than these. Go to Rakuten.com or download the Rakuten app. R-A-K-U-T-E-N. Shoppers get it. Now back to the story. Two thousand three was a trying and controversial year for sixty-nine-year-old Yuko Chino and her followers in Panawave Laboratory. By late summer, they were being investigated for a mysterious and shocking death and for a large amount of financial wrongdoing. 
And on September 12, 2003, yet another man died mysteriously at the cult's compound. While we don't know the man's name, we do know that he was a follower of Chino's. Late that night at the Oizumi Panaway facility, animal noises echoed through the white, dome-shaped cottages. But as a cult member attempted to fall asleep, he heard an unusual groaning sound around 2 a.m. He slowly climbed out of bed and looked outside the facility. Through the dark, he saw what looked like a man lying in the creek that ran beside the building. He ran out to investigate and found the older man unresponsive in the cold water. Not knowing what else to do, he sprinted back to his cottage where he phoned the authorities for help. The fire department arrived a few minutes later and immediately located the unconscious man. After attempting initial life-saving procedures, the emergency crew transported him to the hospital. Doctors had no idea what was wrong with the man, but for the moment, they were able to get his vital signs level, keeping him alive. Unfortunately, the man's condition worsened. Despite all of their best efforts, the man's body began shutting down. No form of medical intervention worked. Eventually, doctors were unable to save the man, and he passed away at the hospital. Unlike in Chigusa's death, the medical team didn't report anything bizarre. There were no significant bruising or other wounds. So it seemed more likely that he passed away from natural causes. But the fact that both he and Chigusa died at the Panaway facility raised questions about whether they were linked. Police quickly launched a second investigation, but it ultimately went nowhere. There was little to no evidence of wrongdoing, and no one was ever arrested or charged. But the inquiry into Chigusa's perplexing death moved forward. Less than three months later, on December 5th, 2003, Authorities arrested five high-ranking members of Panawave Laboratory for his assault. Since his death had been determined to be at least partially due to heat stroke, the followers were arrested only for the beating, not Chigusa's death. The investigation revealed that the incriminated cult members attacked Chigusa with not only cardboard sticks, but also with bamboo swords. Chigusa worked in some capacity for the group, attempting to lessen or remove the electromagnetic waves from the Pana Wave facility. The cult members feared that the work he was doing had exposed him to dangerous levels of electromagnetic waves. They believed the beatings would somehow help to minimize the toxicity that had accumulated in Chigusa's body. Little did they know that their efforts to help him and cleanse him most likely contributed to his demise. Through their investigation, authorities learned that the assault on Chigusa wasn't an isolated incident. In fact, the practice was so normalized that the Panawave Laboratory wrote an instruction guide on how to properly administer the beatings. The book provided directions on how many strokes to inflict and what sort of instruments and weapons could be used. The manual also revealed that beatings were delivered based on hierarchy within the cult. Higher-level adherents gave the orders, while other members carried out the actual beatings. Once the police examined the manual, it was clear that cult members were responsible for at least the severe bruising discovered on Chigusa's body. Despite this, there wasn't any indication that any of Chino's followers were charged with Chigusa's death. But the fact that severe beatings were normalized and even considered therapeutic as part of the cult's beliefs is shocking. 
it seems strange that anyone would choose to stay within a group that sanctioned routine beatings. Cult members believed what they got out of being a part of Panna Wave justified the abuse or made it worthwhile. Criminology professor James J.F. Forrest addressed this in his book, The Making of a Terrorist, Recruitment, Training, and Root Causes. While making comparisons between religious cults and terrorist training camps, Forrest pointed out that recruits often develop a positive bond with their trainers. Despite being on the receiving end of pain or discipline, the recruit can perceive the person administering it as a source of relief or comfort. He said that in the case of cult members who endure physical abuse, they have no choice but to unconsciously make peace with the potentially threatening agenda of the leadership and comply with its expectations in order to achieve emotional relief. And the senior members of the group presumably told Chigusa that beating him with bamboo swords was for his own good and protection from electromagnetic wave poisoning. So he must have believed that as well and went along with the treatment. Despite these various criminal and legal entanglements that beset the cult over the years, Chino seemed untouchable. The group in general continued as before, with the safety and health of Chino being the primary driving force. Whether it was from bad publicity or maybe worsening health, 70-year-old Chino became more reclusive. She'd never been in the public eye much, but she definitely withdrew more around 2004 and didn't leave the compound. With all the scandals and bad press, the cult's membership suffered as well. At the height of popularity, Chino claimed thousands of followers. But as the years passed, thousands dwindled to hundreds and then dozens. The guru's followers said her isolation was partly because whenever she left the sanctity of their compound, she got sicker. Her followers said it was more difficult to shield Chino from the perilous electromagnetic fields. As Chino pulled back and became more cloistered, the cult ended up more insular. Their emphasis shifted from spreading their teachings and recruiting to doing what they could to safeguard Chino and the fate of the planet. Because according to Chino, the planet and all life on it was always just about to meet its end. Despite everything else going on, she continued issuing various doomsday predictions. In June 2004, Chino relayed another end-of-the-world prophecy to an author and professor named Salvador Jimenez Murguia. She wrote to him, Cracks are forming on the sea floors of Japan, and at this rate, Japan will sink to the bottom of the seas by spring next year. And strangely, through that winter, the country experienced several different kinds of natural disasters and catastrophic weather. Japan was put through two earthquakes, two volcanic eruptions, and various tropical storms and typhoons. The dramatic calamities only strengthened Chino and her followers' resolve and apocalyptic fears. The devastating events served as proof that their beliefs were valid. But then the guru began putting less emphasis on saving the earth and instead looked toward the stars. If there was a future for herself and her flock, it wasn't on this planet. Chino brazenly claimed that she was in communication with extraterrestrials. She told her followers that a fleet of spaceships would come and save Panna Wave from Earth. But before they could leave, Chino said the alien spacecrafts ran into trouble. 
Unfortunately, the ships ran out of both food and fuel. Because of these dire circumstances, Chino claimed that 21 starships had already crashed into the oceans of Earth. But Chino said there was some hope. She told her followers they could build their own crafts to leave the planet and save themselves. She presented very specific plans for their construction and said the crafts would be built out of a mixture of steel and titanium. She estimated the spaceships would be ready to take off anywhere between six months and five years in the future, although she emphasized that it was important to achieve their goal as quickly as possible. She gravely cautioned her followers and said, if we stay for more than three years, there will be disasters and humans will no longer be able to live. Up next, we'll hear more about Chino's plan to leave the planet Earth and the fate of her and her followers. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, how to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, how to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promoting for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Your brain needs support. And new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L-theanine, and caffeine. Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y dot These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Now back to the story. In early 2005, 71-year-old Yuko Chino came to her followers and presented them with radical plans to leave the planet before the apocalypse. She claimed that the fleet of crafts that were supposed to pick them up had crashed, so they were going to build their own. Even though her alien contacts weren't able to spirit Chino and the cult members away, it turned out that they had watched over and protected them for years. According to Chino, the extraterrestrials had saved the whole world. Back in May 2003, Chino's interplanetary friends had built a force field around the Earth, protecting them from the incoming planet, Nibiru. Even if Chino's story seemed to come out of nowhere, her followers didn't question any of it. Her word was gospel, and they hung on to whatever she said. They even listened while she changed her plans again. In May 2005, she explained that she and her Panaway followers were embarking on a new venture. She called this new plan Project Circle P. The P stood for pickup. This project involved a whole fleet of spaceships coming to Earth. The aliens promised to pick up Chino and her followers in the summer of 2005 and take them to their new home called Planet A. It's not known where Planet A was located or why it would be safe for dozens of humans to be dropped off there. Presumably, the extraterrestrials had explained it all to Chino's satisfaction. Panawave needed to leave quickly. 
as Chino now believed that the United States government was working on a project that could endanger everyone, a plan she said was called Project Lucifer. The scheme involved what Chino confusingly called solarizing the planet Jupiter, which would somehow blast Mars into pieces, creating an asteroid belt. Chino claimed if Mars is destroyed, Jupiter's gravity will attract Earth, inevitably causing it to approach contact with the second asteroid belt. 99% of humans on Earth will most likely be ruined. She instructed her approximately 40 followers to pack what she called space food for the evacuation. According to Chino's extraterrestrial contacts, they needed enough food for an estimated six months of space travel. In addition to ensuring their own survival, Chino wanted to save animals as well. She told her followers to prepare to bring along birds, cats, dogs, fish, and other animals, and any food they needed. She explained the spaceship would be like Noah's Ark, only on a UFO. In July 2005, plans were still underway for Project Circle P. Her faithful followers spent long hours on their land, working on the two-acre landing strip. The labor was brutal by hand, but Chino's followers didn't dare slow down. Not only did they not want to disappoint Chino, but they didn't want to miss out on their chance of survival. Despite their hard work, Chino estimated the rest of the preparation would take an additional six months. No one working took a moment to think about what they were doing. By this time, Chino's teachings had radically evolved. In the beginning, they were more Christianity-centered, and she believed she was communicating with Archangel Michael. But the religion had transitioned to be centered around science, with Panawave Laboratory protecting her from electromagnetic fields, and science fiction, with the belief in the upcoming rescue by her allies from outer space. Sociology professor and author Salvador Jimenez Murguia studied Chino and her group for an article published in Epoche, the University of California Journal for the Study of Religion. Murguia wrote that the cult practiced what they believed to be a synthesis of science and religion. In fact, both elements coexisting is what enabled the group to invent scientific claims that support their spiritual beliefs. Murguia said, Though one could argue that the science these groups invoke is merely that of a pseudoscience, it must be noted that it is their faith in these versions of science and religion that serve to produce the very outcomes that they anticipate. In this way, any truth value to claims that seem implausible in reality are irrelevant. The belief in these outcomes is of central importance in motivating action. Additionally, since their scientific claims were infused with religious doctrine, any claim, no matter how unbelievable or sci-fi, could be validated. The faith in the religion hijacked any skepticism. And the Panawave Laboratory continued to have faith in Chino, despite no sign of their alien rescuers. Over the next year, the group kept preparing for their interstellar trip, which was long overdue. Even as Chino's behavior became more erratic, her most faithful didn't abandon her. She lived full-time in a white Toyota van nicknamed Arcadia, which was draped in white curtains and guarded at all times. While Chino hid away, the rest of the cult worked on completing her ambitious plan. They collected animals, prepared food and other supplies, and finally finished the landing strip. 
But neither faith, science, or alien visitors protected the 72-year-old guru from what every human eventually faces. On October 25, 2006, Chino called for assistance. As her guards clustered around, they noticed Chino's breath laboring. Her eyes seemed panicked as she struggled to absorb oxygen. They couldn't believe what was happening as their leader's condition worsened while she gasped for her next breath. They frantically pulled down the protective white sheets from the vehicle. To anyone watching, they acted as if the sky had fallen. Once the van was unencumbered, they rushed their leader to the hospital as her health and life were paramount. Despite receiving medical attention, Yuko Chino passed away only hours later. Even though for years she'd claimed to be dying from cancer caused by electromagnetic waves, the cause of her death was mysteriously reported as being from unspecified reasons. Even though she was gone, Chino didn't leave her followers high and dry. Shortly before passing, Chino assured her flock that her alien friends were still rescuing them even after she was gone. Her followers had faith that the extraterrestrials were coming to spirit them away before the planet Earth was destroyed. It's clear that even after Chino's death, the former leader still had a hold over her followers because they still believed in some of her previous claims. Days after Chino's passing, members of Panawave Laboratory released a statement that said, as communist guerrillas executed Chairman Chino, we do not know when we will be rescued. We will wait. As of now, at least, the Earth is still here. It seems that over time, without their chairman to guide them, the group fizzled out. No one calling themselves Panawave Laboratory has made any news or delivered any doomsday prophecies recently. And despite their statement, most of them didn't wait. By 2007, there were only a handful of loyal followers enduring at the Fukui compound. As far as we know, the landing strip was never fully completed and no spaceships ever arrived. Thanks again for tuning in to Cults. We'll be back next week with a new episode. You can find all episodes of Cults and all other Spotify originals from Parcast for free on Spotify. We'll see you next time. Cults is a Spotify original from Parcast. Executive producers include Max and Ron Cutler. Sound designed by Michael Motion. With production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Carly Madden, and Bruce Kitovich. This episode of Cults was written by Christine Colby. With writing assistance by Giles Hovseth. Fact-checking by Cara Mackerlein. And research by Brian Petrus and Chelsea Wood. Cults stars Greg Polson and Vanessa Richardson. Bad omens, good fortune, pure luck. Take a closer look at what you believe in and follow the Spotify original from Parcast, Superstitions. New episodes air weekly, every Wednesday. Listen free on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts.